We're going to look at some of Revelation 21 and most, if not all, depending on our time, in Revelation chapter 22. And this is the end of our Bible. If you're flipping through the, the Bible, this is the end, right? You, you might have some charts or something uh, and some appendices in the back of your Bible or um, maybe a concordance or something like that. But for the most part, uh, as far as the scripture goes, this is the, the end of it, the last bit of it. And so um, in, I'm going to let you know what we're looking at here. In Revelation 21, all the seals have been broken on the scroll. The scroll has been opened. Everything has been said. Everything has been done that the, that the scroll said would be done. Um, the end is here, and, and now we're going to get to see this victory. And so in Revelation, this is go- we're going to see this new heaven, this new earth, and, and this new Jerusalem. And we're, as we're looking at this, we're going to read the, the first eight verses, and then we'll skip some. I'll explain what's going on in the verses we skip, but we just don't have time to look at all uh, both chapters, I guess I should say, in their completion this morning. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So now, remember earlier in Revelation, John in chapter 4, he was taken into the throne room, right? And so he's seeing the Father on the throne, he's seeing all this spectacular stuff, and we don't know how much of God's glory he has seen, but he is trying to explain what he is seeing, and, and um, he's doing a good job of saying that it's spectacular, but I don't feel like when I read John chapter 4, the, uh, John, Revelation chapter 4, uh, that I know more about what God looks like or anything like that. Uh, of course, God is spirit, and so he's describing it in this spectacular way. The only way he can, because he's there, with these first century eyes, right, only knowing what John knows as a human in his time period, and he is taken into heaven to see what the end will look like, and he is then reporting back to us. And of course, this is inspired. Of course, this is God-breathed. We believe that the Word of God is, is alive and active. We believe that. We know that. Um, but we also believe that God spoke through men. And so he spoke to people in a certain time, and, and people in the first century had to read this. And so they had to be able to understand what was going on. They had to be able to, um, uh, as much as they could anyway, understand what John was saying. And, and that's what we have here is John is going to try to explain things the best he can as he sees them coming down. And, and the way it's explained is everything we need to know. This is explained perfectly enough for what we need to know right now to know God, to know about salvation, to know about things that are going to get us in this audience where we get to see um, the end come about in, 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 a, in the right way on, on God's side. And so with that said, he sees this, new, this city, this new Jerusalem coming down. And, and I want to make a comment here. Um, if you know in the New Testament... Uh, who is the bride of Christ? The church, right, exactly. And so in the New Testament, the bride of Christ, that is described in detail in a lot of places, and it's the church. And, it, and 
the description of the church that's given in the New Testament is going to be very similar to the description of New Jerusalem that is given here. Now, I don't think that the church and New Jerusalem are exactly the same thing, and, and I think this needs explaining as we read this, um, just so we can get make sure we're focusing on the worship part that we're going to do, that this is important. Um, but let me ask you something. In the, in the New Testament, who is the church? Yeah, believers. We are. People who put their faith in Jesus. The, and notice I said who, not what. We are the church. The church is not what. It's not a building. And yet, what do we call this building? The church, right? And when we describe the church, the people, and the church, the steeple, anybody know that? Uh, I don't know it, but anyway, I've seen people do it. I, it. 20 people are doing it right in front of me right now. It looks like sign language. Um, but anyway, uh, a lot of times when we describe the church, the people, and the church believers, sorry, the building, then we're, we describe them in similar ways, right? When we just say the church, and we're talking about this, but we're, sometimes we say church and we mean it in the biblical sense of the people. And so I believe, um, and this isn't original to me, I read this in, you know, by scholars who are a lot smaller, smarter than me. I didn't come up with this all on my own. Uh, but I believe that when it's describing New Jerusalem, the reason that it's describing New Jerusalem like the Bible, the New Testament describes the church is because New Jerusalem is going to house the church, going to house the bride of Christ, just as this building houses who? The church. And so um, I just wanted to make that point as we're reading this. So, and I saw the city, this is verse 2, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, He's heard this loud voice before, hasn't he? We've, we've um, read this uh, in other places in Revelation. So he heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Praise God. I'm going to read that one more time just so it sinks in. All right. Because I am excited. I'm only 38 years old. Right. But uh, getting out of bed this morning, I was like, Ugh. I was making noises that I used to not make when I was getting out of bed. Anybody else know those noises? All right. Because you heard your spouse. Right. Not you. Uh, you're young and spry. But um, I have experienced health problems in my life, and nothing compared to what some of you in this room have experienced. I have experienced loss because of cancer, as many of you in this room have experienced. I have experienced the, just the pain of being betrayed by a friend. I have experienced the pain of being the one who has let down other people, that I let them down. I have experienced being, being the one doing the betraying, in, in a sense. I have experienced what it's like to sin and to go against God. I have experienced what it's like to, to want, with all of my heart, not to sin, 
And yet, what do I find myself doing? Sinning. I have experienced all of that. And God is telling us that all of that is going to be brought to an end. And so that is something that we should be excited about. That is why John was weeping in chapter 5 when no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll until, behold, here is Jesus, and he is worthy. Amen? All right, so let's read this. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, the ultimate enemy that I didn't even mention a second ago, and death shall be no more. There shall, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. So John gets out his pen. I don't know what he was writing with, but write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. One day, it will all be finished. And are we ready for that day? Amen. If we're believers, we're ready for that day. We can't wait for that day. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. Yes, we're ready for that day. But for those of us who might not know the Lord yet, for those of us who haven't asked him to save us, who haven't seen that change in our heart like Joshua this summer, and we, we were baptizing him this morning to show that change that happened in his life, then it is done might not be the best phrase. Because once it's done, it's done. Once it's done, there's no going back. So we have to make sure that we're ready when the end comes. And so let's read what God says. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of, of the water of life without payment. And so who is able to be saved? Everyone. Anyone who is thirsty. Anyone who desires salvation, anyone who comes to Christ seeking, the Father is able to give it because of what Christ has done on the cross. Last week when we took the Lord's Supper, the blood that he shed is, is able to cover all sin. Anyone who accepts the payment that Christ offered on our behalf will be saved. Because of what Christ has done, not because of any work that we do. We don't deserve it. We're accepting a free gift that God has done for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, now, wages is what we earn, right? If you work a job, you earn wages. And the wages of sin is death. That's what we earn for our sin. But, thank goodness for that comma and that conjunction, right? But, the free gift of God. A gift is free, right? If you have to earn it, it's not a gift. 
The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So are we ready for that? Do we have that? Is that are we prepared for it is done? I am. Not by anything I've done, but by what Christ has done. I am ready for it is done. I long for it is done. I long for the day with no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. But even as I long for that, there is this ache in my heart for those who are not ready for it is done. There is a longing for me to see people I love get saved. Because one day it will be done. And one day there will be no more opportunities and no more chances. And, and God is going to make all things new. For those who, who are with him, for those who have life in him, everything's going to be new. I mean, think of the best things that you love in this world, as long as those things that you love are honoring to God. Think of the things that you love and know that however great they are here in this sin-infested world, how much better are they going to be in heaven when we're dwelling with God without any negative effects of sin? Without any worry, without any hesitation, we are going to be in the presence of God, worshiping Him for an eternity. And so when we say, when we hear Him say, it is done, we can celebrate. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We can know that anyone who comes to God will be satisfied. But there is a time limit on when we can come to God. We have to do it on this side of eternity. We can't go into heaven with our sin and say, hey, I know I live my life completely against you and never called out to Christ for salvation, um, but can I come in? It doesn't work like that. God will not allow sin into New Jerusalem, into heaven. He will not allow sin into his presence. Because if he did, we would corrupt things, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, just like we corrupted them here. And we, it would start the cycle all over again. And so he's not going to do that. He's going to judge perfectly, righteously. Verse 7. The one who conquers will have his heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. The one who conquers. That's us. That's those who put their faith in Jesus. The one who conquers will have his heritage. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly. Now, I want to make something very clear here. This is just naming a whole bunch of sins. And if the shoe fits, right? And we all would be in this list. This is just representative of other things. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just examples of the type of people who will be in hell. And let me be honest with you. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be on this list. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would be on this list. And, and for those, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Y'all were feeling pretty good until that liars part, weren't you? And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't exactly know what the second death is going to be like. The Bible says a lot of things about it. But I know that a lake of fire and sulfur does not sound pleasant. 
And the Bible tells us that it will be a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible tells us that it's going to be a place that none of us want to be, where none of us want to be. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you is to put your faith in Jesus, to follow him. And, and I'm not trying to scare anyone. In fact, you know that if, if you've heard me preach, this is rare for me to be this blunt, but this is where we are in the Scripture, and the Scripture is this blunt. And so it calls for it. Because it's my responsibility as a pastor and as a teacher to teach the Word of God faithfully and honestly. And here it's saying that for those who don't have Christ, and it names a bunch of sins, but we can just know that we fall into one of those categories. For those who don't have Christ, our end will be an eternal punishment for our sin. And you might think that that's not fair. Why should we be punished when we're just trying to do our best down here? Well, Jesus did his best. He wasn't just trying. He did his best. He never sinned. He loved perfectly. And he took punishment for us because he knew it was right. He knew it was fair. It wasn't right in the sense of, he deserved to be punished. It was right in the sense that we deserved to be punished and he was willing to take that punishment for us. And so, praise God for what he is doing in our life and what he has done. Now, in verses um, 9 through 21, we see a lot of stuff going on here. We see um, that he is ex explaining New Jerusalem like he explained the throne room, he's explaining some different things about the city. And I'm going to take us down to verse 22. And it says this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city. There's no church in heaven. Did y'all know that? As in a building? Because in the New Testament... It takes a step away from this already. In the Old Testament, you have the temple, right? Toward the end of the Old Testament, they, that's where they go to worship. That's where they go to, to find God's presence is the temple. But then we get to the New Testament, and where is the temple of God then? It's inside the hearts and inside the lives of Christians. And so now we get to heaven, and there's no need for a temple, a building, because God is there. Let's read what this says. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. There's no need for a church because the whole place is a church. There's no need for a building to come and worship God because the whole city, the, all of it, is a place to worship God. And His presence exudes throughout the whole place. And so... Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamp. Now, we're going to read some things just like we've already read some things. I don't know how literal this is. I don't know if this is figurative. I don't know what's going on, but I have to, I'm going to take it as face value and say that the, the glory of God is shining so brightly in whatever way it looks like, right? John's describing it as like all this stuff, like even around the throne, the rainbow of emerald or whatever it was and the, all these gems and all these things that he spectacularly describes in Revelation chapter 4. And then we get to Revelation chapter 21 and we see all these ways that New Jerusalem is described. And one of these incredible things that I did not want to skip over is that there will be no temple 
and there will be no sun. And and the reason is, is there's no need for a temple because the Lord is there. The Lord is the temple. You just come to him to worship. He's right there. And, and And the sun, Jesus, is there. And the city has no need of sun or moon. And so, verse 24, by its light will America walk. Is that what it says? The nations. There, we've already seen this throughout Revelation, but there is this heart for the nations that, are, that is in Revelation. It's, it's more than a heart. It's this reveal, this revelation that people from every tribe will be in heaven. That, that the blood of Jesus is going to cover the sins of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And, and here we are again, and we're seeing the nations in verse 23. Or sorry, verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. Well, when is it going to be day there? Always. The glory of the Lord is going to make it day, and its gates will never be shut. So anyone who has their faith in Jesus is welcome. And there will be no night there. Verse 26. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So I want to make something clear here. I'm just going to reiterate because I've already talked about this and we need to move on to chapter 22 to finish up the sermon. But what sin will be allowed into heaven? What sinner will be allowed into heaven? None. Only those saved by the blood of Christ. Only those made righteous by Jesus' righteousness. That's why it's so important. That's why as Christians, like, people kind of, and I understand it, I understand where they're coming from, that they get upset when we're so bold and so ready to share the gospel with them. And I get it. If, if you're someone who doesn't believe in God, then of course that's going to be offensive, right? If someone's telling you, even in a nice way, that your end will, will be punishment, your end will be destruction, even if you're being nice about it, if, if you say something like that, it's going to be offensive, Right? A lot of times, but you know what else it is? It's hope. It's life. How will they believe if no one tells them? And so we have a responsibility to tell them. We have a responsibility to tell them about the blood of Jesus, to tell them about the love of Jesus so that they can be saved. Because when the end comes, no, nothing unclean will ever enter Nothing unclean will ever enter New Jerusalem. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who's, who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Only, only people who have a relationship with Jesus. So then, what does Revelation 22 tell us? And I'm going to go quickly through this. But it tells us to worship God because Jesus is coming. And that's how 21 ends, right? And we're going into 22. I'm going to read... Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, we don't have, to go, we don't have time to go into all the symbolism, 
but here's the river of life is good, and it brings life, it brings healing, it brings all these things. It's just symbolic of God's glory flowing throughout the whole thing, right? And, and it's, it's apparently literally there. Um, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will what? Worship him. This is the, 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 the purpose of man. The end goal of man, the end job of man is to know him and worship him. And what else would we do if, if we know him? Because he's so good, of course we're going to worship him. And this isn't something that we're forced to do, okay? If we have no desire here on this side of eternity to, eternity to worship God, if there's zero desire and that desire is just not, simply not there, then I would go as far as to say then you're not a Christian. Because if we have a relationship with God, I'm not saying 24-7 all the time, but there are going to be times when we have this strong desire and urge to worship Him because He is worthy. And when we sense His presence, when we see His truth, when we read His Word, when we're brought into His presence in any sense, the natural response is worship, is love, is a desire to make Him known. It's a desire to see Him glorified. And, and we're going to worship Him. Verse 4. They will see his face. Are you ready for that day? And his name will be on their foreheads. It just means that there's going to be something about us, right? Whether it's physical or literal or or figurative, uh, there's going to be something about us that clearly means that we are his. We are God's. Verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord... God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will reign with God. In a, in a time where some of us would, would just like to be able to pay our bills or get over this, the flu or get over cancer or, or get over this thing or that thing, there won't be any more getting over. We'll, we'll, we'll be gotten over. Well, it's already done. It is finished. It's done. It was finished on the cross with Christ, but it won't be completely revealed, and redemption won't be completely known until restoration occurs at this time. And so, verse 6, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Praise God. Hey, it might not seem like soon because it's been 2,000 years. But when he comes, it will seem like soon. For everyone who is ready and is not ready, we will be like, wow, where did that come from? That was fast. And so we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord because he is coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, what are you doing? Okay, that's not exactly what he said. You must not do that. You, you can't. I'm, but the angel was the most glorious thing John had ever seen, and which is crazy because he walked with Jesus, right? But... Here he is seeing 
just the angel appearing to him to, to reveal all this to him in the first place, before he's in the throne room, before he's all that. And he, he fell down to worship the angel. And the angel says, you can't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the, the words of this book. Worship God. Here we are again. What's the purpose of man? Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. All this is saying is, is wherever you are when the end comes, that's what's going to continue. If you're a sinner not saved by the blood of Christ, then you're going to continue until you come into the presence of God to be judged as a sinner. And if you have given your life to Christ and you have been made righteous by him, when you come into the presence of God, you will be seen as righteous. Where am I? Verse 11. Let's go to verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. So here he is again. He is bringing his recompense with him. And he is saying that judgment is coming because he is God. He is righteous. He has to do what's right. He has to do what's just. And here, even in our city, right, if someone is breaking the law, if someone is just recklessly harming others and doing what's wrong, are we going to want those people to see the law, to see the court system? Yeah. We want people to be held responsible for what they've done, right? You can't just harm people without expecting judgment. And how much more is a holy God? A righteous God going to judge. And so we have to go to Christ and we have to make sure that our righteousness is coming from him. You, you saw the symbolic robe that Joshua was wearing earlier, the white robe and that I was wearing. And, and, and it symbolizes cleanness, purity. We've been made righteous. And, and we only get to enter the gates of heaven if we have been made righteous. But look at 15, and look at the words that God, the creator of these people, the one who loves them so much that he sent his son, and yet he's also a righteous judge, and a righteous judge is not going to let sin go unaccounted for. And so look at what he says. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So who gets in? Those who wash their robes, those who are righteous in Christ. Who's out, left out? Those who don't. Verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. He is saying in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, we see this root of David mentioned, especially in Isaiah. And it's this... Um, this descendant of David, and, and even before it was the root of David, it was promised in different ways from the beginning of the Bible. And it was that a Messiah would come, a Savior would come. And Jesus is saying, I am that Savior. 
and I am the bright and morning star. I'm pointing you in the right direction for salvation. Come, follow me. Here's the city. Here's how you get in. It's through Christ. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Right? Come to Jesus. That's what we say. That's what we want. We want people to know him. Not just because we want to be right or we want to be demanding of our way or because our religion is the best and you need to follow it because we're better than you. It's not like that. It's not that our religion is better. It's not that we are better. It's that Jesus is better. Hebrews says that Jesus is better than any other way. Hebrews, even the ways that God himself set up in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. Hebrews said, if the Old Covenant was sufficient, we wouldn't need a new one. But we needed a new one because Jesus is the Savior. All of these other things that we try to do to make ourselves right with God, all of these other ways, they don't work. The only thing that works is Jesus. And so we have to realize that. And he is the bright and morning star. And, and the Spirit and the bride know this. And so they say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. So what you are hearing, you have heard before this, I'm sure. And so what are we to tell people who don't know Jesus? Come. Let's go. I can show you where he is. I can take you to him. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Anyone can have salvation. You can have salvation. Whether you've never been to church or you've been to church your whole life, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you don't have a real relationship with our Lord, then you're not going to have salvation. Because salvation doesn't come through the works of being good or going to church or being baptized. Salvation comes from the grace of Christ, the mercy of God. He gives us that gift. We have a life with him. If he saves us, then our life should, should, we, it should change. We should live for him. We should desire him. And of course we're going to sin. Of course we're going to mess up. And he is there to forgive us when we do. But as followers of Jesus, when we mess up, we come back to him. We come to him and we say, I'm sorry. Lord, help me. And we know that anyone who comes to him is given life without price. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's the end of Revelation. He is coming back. It ends with a promise. He is coming back. And that promise can be beautiful to those who know him because it means an end to all pain and it means an end to all, to all suffering. He is coming back and he is bringing with him healing. He is bringing with him righteousness. My microphone just almost got pulled off. My, either my ear or my microphone one was coming off. All right, there we go. I got too excited. And so... It, for those who know him, it's going to be a great thing. It's going to be a glorious thing. It's going to be the best thing we've ever experienced in our life. And it's going to last for an eternity. And it's just going to get better and better and better. And it's never going to be stale. It's always going to be us in the presence of an infinite God. Continuing to reveal his infiniteness, his infinite nature to us. And we are going to be constantly surprised. We are going to be constantly in awe. And we are going to be constantly drawn to worship because we've never seen anything like him. 
Because we've never seen love like his love. We've never seen joy like his joy. We've never seen hope like his hope. We've never seen life like his life. But for those of us who don't know him, come Lord Jesus can be a very scary thing. Because when he comes, like a thief in the night, the Bible says, going to happen like that and if we're not ready if we don't have a relationship with the Lord then the destruction that awaits us has been described already and so I don't know that we can scare people into heaven if you don't have a desire for God if you don't have our fear kind of wanes right like, we get scared and we know, like, we're scared of God and we know we need him. Well, look, the demons know he's there and they quake and shudder, right? That doesn't mean they're getting saved. And so I'm not trying to scare you into getting saved. What I'm trying to do is to bring a realization that life is short and we better deal with God now because when eternity comes, we don't have that opportunity. He will deal with us. And if we have Christ, we enter into his presence. And if we don't, we're separated for an eternity. And so I want to make sure that I'm in the right place. And I promise that if you go to God, he will give from this river of life. He will give to anyone who is desiring, who is wanting, and who, who seeks him. But you have to come seeking him, not just what he can offer you. If all you want is to uh, stay out of hell, then is that really entering into a relationship with him? Right? Lots of people want to stay out of hell. That doesn't mean that they give their life to Christ. Lots of people want to stay out of hell. That doesn't mean that they have been saved by the blood of Jesus. So we have to go to Jesus humbly, knowing that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves and ready for him to save us. And so with that said, we've come to our time of invitation. And where are you? Do you have a relationship with him or don't you? I've made it clear what needs to happen if you don't. You need to ask Jesus to save you. If you need to talk to someone while you're doing that, then I'll be right down here. And the Bible tells us to, that is something that should be made public. And so if you are getting saved, you should tell others. As Joshua showed us this morning, when you get saved, you're to be baptized. And it is our way of telling the world, I am a follower of Jesus. He has saved me. And so where are you this morning? Do you have a relationship with Jesus or don't you? And if you do have a relationship with Jesus, if you have been baptized, then my encouragement to you is to ask God, what do I need to do to be ready for this day? Who do I need to share your love with? Who do I need to tell about you? How do I need to help my neighbor? How do I need to love my neighbor? How do I need to love my family, the people that you have given me that surround me? Maybe you have broken relationships in your life that need to be mended. You don't have an eternity to fix those relationships. Time is short on this earth. Life will be gone soon. Whether Jesus returns or we die, or the people that we're struggling with dies. 
Don't be so proud that you can't get right with the people that have hurt you or that you have hurt. So what do you need to do during this invitation? I think that you need to respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. With the knowledge that life is short and that he is coming again. Amen? Amen. Let's have this time of invitation. I'm going to ask Dan if you would come and lead us. And I'm going to say a prayer for us. And you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Lord, we love you. And I just pray that you would save us, Lord. And that if we're saved, I pray that you would help us to live life in a way that makes a difference here, Lord. Because time is short. Because you are coming back. And we long for that day. We await that day. But, Lord, there are people who do not know you who need to know you. And we know that according to your word that you are being patient for their sake. That you have not returned so that others can know you and get saved. And so, Lord, help us to tell them about you and share your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.